You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special year-end episode of Humanize Me. I'm Bart Campolo. This is my podcast, and... For many of you, this is the first time you've ever listened to this podcast. And I know that because I'm sending out this email to all kinds of people who have supported my work over the years, both recently and in the the past. And I'm doing that and, and encouraging them to listen to this particular episode because I realize I've just done a terrible job of communicating, which is ironic for a person who considers themselves to be a pretty good communicator. But back in the old days, back when I was a Christian working in the inner city, I was I was incredibly faithful. Every month I would send out a newsletter. Uh, and it was easy for me because my mission was so simple. Like back in Walnut Hills when I was running the Walnut Hills Fellowship, I was simply trying to love broken people in a very difficult inner city neighborhood. And so every month when I would sit down to write my letter, I would go like, huh, do I have a story of me trying to love some broken person and how that worked out or of my friends and I trying to do something and how that worked out? And it was, it was easy. I knew what to write because I knew what we were doing. But the other day I had a branding expert come in and they were talking about my website and this and that. And, and they, were, they were trying to boil down all the stuff that I was doing into kind of one pithy little description. They said, what are you? Are you a motivational speaker are you a thought leader? Are you a uh, culture creator? What are you? And I thought, man, I don't know what I am. And I think because I don't know what I am, I don't know how to describe it simply and pithily, it's very hard for me to know what stories to tell about that. And, but, you know, I, I was thinking about it after the guy left. And uh, I looked at my emails. And at the bottom of my email, I have a little signature. And, and what it says is Bart Campolo, community builder, counselor, conveyor of hope. And I thought, maybe, maybe though that's, maybe that's as good as I can get in terms, I mean, it's not, it's not really zippy, but maybe that's as good as I can get in terms of branding. I mean, I'm definitely a community builder. Just, I mean, just like back when I was in Cincinnati, we moved into this really difficult ghetto neighborhood, and the idea was there's a lot of lonely people or a lot of, a lot of people who are vulnerable here. Let's create a community and teach people how to love each other and connect with each other and, and be together in a way that supports each other. Sort of let's build a village in the middle of this neighborhood. Um, and you say, well, yeah, but that was, I mean, you were in the ghetto there. Like that made sense, that kind of community building. Like, but now you're at USC. What are you doing there? And the truth is, it's just another ghetto. I mean, don't get me wrong. These kids, the the, the students I work with are incredibly privileged. And they are so smart. And they have, you know, they're confident. And they have access to all kinds of resources and everything. But on some other level, when I walk across that campus, I just see needs. I mean, underneath the surface, these young people show up to college and they are scared and they are confused. And some of them feel really insecure. I mean, some of them come from really difficult family backgrounds. There's been a lot of pressure on them. 
or there's been sometimes their families have, are so high achieving that there's been a lot of neglect. And so for a lot of these kids, there's a lot of pain coming out of their families and they'll land on that campus. And then for some of them, like they, they're straight up, they, they're going through sexual identity issues or religious identity issues um, or just identity issues. Like, what am I going to do with my life? What, why am I here? What am I trying to become? I mean, college is a time when people are trying to figure that stuff out. A lot of times they've, they've left their families, and so they're, they're trying to define themselves as individuals for the first time. And so there's a lot of confusion there. Honestly, there's a tremendous amount of loneliness. I meet so many kids that are surrounded by 18,000 young people their own age, and they're saying, I, don't, I, I know a lot of people, but I don't, have, I don't have any real friends here, and I don't know how to make them. I mean, especially in this age where there's so much technology and there's texting and they're sending emails and Facebooking and all that stuff. And all of that stuff, the studies are, 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 are suggesting and my experience is completely confirming that all that stuff means that everybody doesn't feel more connected, but in a weird way, they feel less connected and more isolated. And they feel like everybody else is having a great time and they're not. And so a lot of these guys, they don't have empathy. They haven't learned how to read other people's faces because they've been too busy reading their texts. And so a lot of them come and say, like, I don't know how to connect. Can you help me? There's a lot of depression. Boy, the, among the women, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of appearance issues, like body issues. Um, and then there's just a lot of sexual assault going on. I mean, one out of three women who goes through college these days, gets, experiences some kind of sexual assault while she's, while she's there. And boy, you, boy, the more available I become to students and the, and the, and the easier, more accessible I am, the more they come to me telling me horror stories um, and trying to work through the aftermath of these often really violent experiences. And so, you, yeah, so you have all these people and it, it, so, so in a sense, it's just another ghetto and the same stuff works. Like we're trying to build a community there of people that will care for each other. I mean, when I first got there, you know, there was this little atheist club, you know, five or six people that called the Alliance for Inquiry and Reason. And they got together and sort of read Richard Dawkins books and talked about what they, why they don't believe in God. But when I got there and I started interacting, they, they quickly said, hey, we'd rather do what you want to do. We'd rather do that whole thing where you where you build a community of people that care about each other around your shared values. Instead of talking about what you don't believe, you talk about what you're committed to together. And so it's been amazing. I mean, the last two and a half years, that community has just grown and taken off. I mean, now from, from those, from whatever number they had back then, like we've got like 75, 100 students and some alumni too that still come around. We've got all these people that say, I'm part of that community. Yeah, I want to be part of that community. And I mean, Marty and I, we still get, we still run dinners. We have Sunday nights, we have these big dinner parties and we put, you know, get to know you questions on the table to start conversations and people bring their friends and we eat together and, and I give a little talk and we play some games and, and boy, it's funny. If you were there, you would say, gosh, this is like church for people who don't believe in God. All the way down to like, we even have some songs now. We started singing this song at the end, a little pub song that one of the kids wrote. And it's funny because at first the students didn't want to sing because they thought like that's too hokey. But one of them finally said, well, maybe if we made it like a drinking song, it would sound good. And, and one of the others was like, yeah, let's put some profanity in there so that, you know, it doesn't seem too, too uh, you know, kind of 
hokey. And so I, I won't sing the profanity for some of your tender ears. But the song basically goes like this. Like, it's funny. We always sing it at the end of the night. And uh, it's kind of to close things down. And it starts like this. It goes, oh, the night's come to a close, but we'll keep an open mind. And every day we'll push on through and hopefully we'll find our fears of death subsiding and our values holding strong. Since life is void of meaning, let's just effing get along. And you go like, they don't really sing that. And I go like, they really do. And we laugh together as we do it. And there's this kind of sense in which like we're poking fun at ourselves, but it's also a shared ritual. And we're developing more and more of those. And, and these kids are sort of going like, oh, to be part of this community means that you care about these things, that you treat people this way, and that you know these songs. And, and it's funny because that sounds like some communities that I grew up in. Um, and, you know, we have speakers. And it's funny. So we do that on Sunday nights. Marty and I do that. And then on Mondays, the students run their own meeting. And it's kind of like their version of Bible study. Except instead of studying the Bible, they bring in other kinds of books or TED Talks. Or they bring in speakers about anything from, you know, listening skills to neuroscience to the origin of species. Um, and whatever they're studying, they're always sort of like, how can we use this? Whatever we're learning here, whatever we're looking at, whatever text we're, we're focused on, whether it's a, a person telling a story or, or a book, and how do we apply this to making the most of our lives and to loving each other and to doing work that makes a difference for social justice and to cultivating a sense of wonder at just the privilege of being alive? And so it's, you, 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 see, you see it, I'm doing the same old stuff. I mean, it's just trying to help people find that sense of community and that sense of purpose and that sense of mission in life without a narrative at the center of it that just isn't working for a lot of us. Um, and it doesn't work for a lot of people. I mean, that's the funny thing is the, the evangelism, if you will, on this campus is easy. I mean, half the students I walk into when I tell them, like, this is the kind of community that we're building, they say, wait, you're trying to figure out how to make the most of your life and how to be better people and how to build better relationships and how to make the world a better place without believing in any kind of supernatural forces. And they're like, that's me. I want to join that community. That, that's, that's, that's who I am. And they don't think of themselves as secular humanists coming in the door. But that's what they really are. They're secular and they're committed to these values. And so, yeah, I mean, and you say, well, why aren't you doing that back in the ghetto? And I go like, well, one of the reasons I do it at a university campus is because I feel like the students there are, are ripe for this kind of message. But the other reason is purely strategic. Like, I'm trying to teach people how to build community and how to build a very specific kind of community that I think the world is going to need a lot more of. And if you do it at a place like USC, every year, one-fourth of my fellowship leaves. And they spread out all over the world with a new way of relating and a new set of values. And my hope, and increasingly what I'm seeing actually happen is that they land somewhere else and they say, man, we ought to start a fellowship like that thing we had at USC. And they know how to do it. They know how to, they know how to set up the tables and they know what kind of questions work and they know what kind of conversations they're trying to spark. <laughs> Hopefully they know what song to sing at the end too. Um, 
So it's cool. It's it's very strategic. And and that's before you get into like the fact that these kids are going out and working in environmentalism and they're going out and starting nonprofits and they're going into industry and and working for big companies and hopefully shaping those companies around their values and applying their values to the way that they treat people and humanizing, if you will, all the places that they go. And, and you say like, well, but wait, like some of them, if, if they if they adopt those values, they're not going to want to go work for some investment bank that just makes people rich people richer. They're going to they're gonna set that aside and they're going to say, well, I think I'd rather go be a school teacher in the inner city or I, I'd rather start some kind of entrepreneurial thing that's going to create jobs for people who really need them or I, I want to work um, to fight against, you know, the kind of fake news stuff that's going on. So I'm going to go into journalism in a different way. And you go like, you're not at USC to try to subvert people from adopting the corporate values of the university and instead get them to adopt values that are more idealistic and humanistic. And I go like, oh, of course that's why I'm there. Of course that's why I'm there. These are the leaders of tomorrow and I want to infuse them with a value system that won't just make their lives richer, but that will enable them to make other people's lives richer. So yeah, I'm, I'm a community builder. And I'm, you know, that's, that's the essence of what I'm doing. But you know, what's funny is like a few, I guess about six, eight months ago, a counselor friend of mine was on USC's campus. He was working with us on a project, a storytelling project with some of the students. And for a couple of days, he watched me interacting with the students and, and we were having lunch afterwards. And he, I was mentioning to him that I was having a really hard time raising enough money to keep doing this, this work. And he said, that's ridiculous. He said, he said, what you're doing is so important. I can't believe you're having a hard time raising money. I said, yeah, I do. I, it's part of it is I, I don't do a good job communicating it. And he said, well, well, if you can't raise money very well, maybe you should just take clients. He said, why don't you just do for other people what you do for these students, but charge them for it? He said, you know, I'm a therapist. I, I charge people to help them work through problems and to help them find meaning and purpose in life. And he said, you're really good at that. You should just take clients. And I said, yeah, I, I can't do that. I'm not a counselor. I, I, I don't have a, uh, a degree in psychology. I'm not a PhD. I'm not a psychiatrist. And he said, that, so what? He said, you've been doing this for 30 years. He said, just hang out your shingle. He said, you don't have to tell people you're licensed. You don't have to tell them that you're um, formally trained, you just tell them like you're a pastoral counselor. You're a coach. You're a life coach. And so I started to do that. I I, I put up on, on my website, bartcampola.org, I put that stuff up there. And sure enough, there were a lot of people that were like, you know, I could use that kind of help. And, and friends of mine started referring people to me and saying, Bart's good at this kind of one-on-one -on -one conversation. And before I knew it, I had a whole kind of list of clients that I'm meeting with on a weekly basis. What's funny is most of them aren't here in L.A. They're all over the world. Um, I do this stuff mostly by Skype um, or by FaceTime or by telephone. But, you know, I have a one-hour appointment with somebody once a week. And, and, and they're similar stuff to the, what the students are working through. Some people are trying to figure out how to connect in friendships. A lot of people are working through religious transitions and they're trying to figure out how do I relate to my family 
now that I'm no longer a believer? Or what do I do? I've been, I'm, I'm a minister in a church and I've lost my faith in God. How do, I, how do I navigate? And so I end up having a lot of really interesting conversations with individuals that are working through religious transition issues. But it's not just that. Like it's somebody's parent dies and they're trying to you know, process that as a secular person. Or they're, they're in a career change or they're struggling in something in their marriage or, or with their kids. Um, it's funny, you know, I, w- I was talking to somebody about these conversations the other day and I said, you know, most of the time I feel like what I really am is not, I'm not like a traditional therapist. I don't ask like, how does that make you feel and how does that make you feel and just let them do all the work. It's a conversation. I'm really more like a professional friend. Um, and I think in a lot of cases there are a lot of people out there that what they need is a conversation with somebody who really gets it when it comes to the struggle of stepping away from a traditionally religious way of life and then you the narrative doesn't work for you and you have to figure out how do I make my life work without that narrative at the center of it. And so that's a, a lot of the conversations I have are around that stuff. And it's just really exciting. And, you know, if you're listening to this for the first time, what I would say to you is, is that there may be somebody that you know um, who's stuck in some place. Or, you know, a lot of the people that, that get in touch with me are people who they've had a tragedy or they've had a setback or they've just lost their faith and they, they're having the sense of like, I just don't know how to regain my spark. I don't know how to find meaning in life anymore. I don't know how to move forward. And, you know, if you know somebody like that, you might want to steer them to the website because thus far, what's been really exciting is, is I'll get these people, we'll meet for a few months, sometimes just a few sessions, and then we're done because you know, you've sort of shifted the perspective or you've given them an, a new approach to something. And they go like, listen, this is really helpful. Thanks for your help. I got to go. And, uh, and that's kind of fun. Uh, I'm not really looking to have people that are just forever endeavor. Um, you need me, but rather like, can I help you get a perspective so that your life can be more wonderful? So yeah, so I, I guess I am a counselor and a coach. Um, and then the last thing it says on my thing is that I'm a conveyor of hope. And I'm trying to be. I mean, it's funny. I spent a lot of this past year working on a book that I'm writing with my dad um, that comes out in February. And it's called um, Why I Left, Why I Stayed, uh, Conversations About Christianity Between an Evangelical Father and His Humanist Son. And, and the idea is that my dad and I have this long, ongoing conversation, especially since I left the faith, that isn't hostile, that isn't like trying to prove the other one wrong, but that's really about how does this work for you? How does life work for you without faith? Well, why do you stay in it? Why did you leave it? Where do you find meaning? My dad has all these questions for me because he was so worried when I lost my faith that I had also lost my reason to be a good person. And it's been just so much fun over the last few years to sort of show him that for me, life has not become less meaningful because I think this is all there is, but rather this life has become incredibly precious and important because it's all there is. And, and, and there's been this kind of conversation going on that isn't about beating the other one. It's really about trying to know 
and understand the other one. And so we ended up writing this book that kind of is back and forth on this stuff. And I guess, yeah, I'm trying to convey hope. I'm trying to convey hope to Christian people whose kids have lost their faith that it doesn't mean that they've lost their goodness and that there's an, that, 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 that they don't have to abandon hope for these kids, that they're going to have good lives and they're going to live meaningful lives. And I'm trying to convey hope to post-Christians or to secular people that they can have meaningful, loving, respectful relationships with their Christian friends and family members. It doesn't have to always be a battle. Um, so yeah, this book is coming out. I, I, I think it's already up on Amazon. You could pre-order it if you're into it. Um, and, you know, I, we sent it out to some people and got some blurbs back on the website. I think there's like a, a landing page that we're putting up about the book. And it has like quotes from cool people saying they like the book. And honestly, I, 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 by the time I was done writing that book, I was so sick of it that I, 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 I had no idea whether it was any good. I'd just seen that stuff too many times. It took me forever to write that book. Like I said, I'm struggling as a communicator these days. And so it was fun when I sent it out to some people and they said, I like it. And hopefully you'll like it. Hopefully people will like it. Um, at the same time the book's coming out, what's funny is, is that my friend John Wright, uh, is, is, there's been a documentary. Boy, that trailer has been up for, what, it seems like a whole year now. Um, but that movie actually comes out at the end of February. Um, documentary. And I think he's going to try to get it on some online platform like Hulu or HBO or, 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 or Netflix. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a I think it's going to be a fun documentary. It's 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 called um, "With Whom I Am Well Pleased," and it's story again. It's the story of my dad and I sort of working through my deconversion. And so, yeah, these are these are you're trying to give some people some hope. Um, this podcast is is about conveying hope. Really, I mean, every week I have a conversation with somebody about how we can make our lives better. And whether I'm talking to a storyteller like Mark Giaconelli or an internet maven like Jim Gilliam or, you know, kind of a a, a writer about death, um, you know, like, or gosh, who have I talked to? I mean, I've talked to so many cool people this year, like, like Holly Laurent, the improv actress, um, and I've got some more lined up, but whoever I'm talking to, it's always a conversation about how can I use what you're telling me to make my life better, to, to, to help me to make other people's lives better, to help me to find happiness by making others happy, to build loving relationships, to do something that makes a difference, to fight against some social justice ill in the world, um, to make meaning. And so... Yeah, the podcast has been great. And, you know, it's funny because right at the beginning of the year, we're going to take over my friend Peter Montoya's New Free Thinkers Facebook page. It has like 64,000 people on it. And we're going to start not only putting the podcast on there, but putting up quotes and devotionals. And it's it's hopefully it's going to become kind of a place for humanist jolts of encouragement, kind of for, for motivational bursts or thought-provoking bursts. Um, for people that are trying, you know, because a lot of people out there that are trying to live out their values are feel very isolated. You know, you're in Alabama, 
in the small town and you don't believe in God and you're trying to live a good life and you don't even know who you can talk to about it. And so those are the people that sometimes like the podcast the best, but we want to sort of be able to put a, like just a little daily nugget for people or give them something, a reading and some reflection questions to try to build a community online that is engaged in the same conversation that my kids are at having at USC. How do we help each other grow? And so, uh, yeah, so, so I'm excited about not just the podcast, but the conversation that's growing out of the podcast. And the podcast community is growing. And maybe some of you that are listening, so, like if you check out the other episodes, they're not like this. It's not just me like ranting on about how cool everything is. Um, but they're really interesting conversations. and I think you'll enjoy it. And you know, I do still get invited out to speak every now and again. I mean, it's not like back in my old Christian heyday when I was on that circuit. I mean, there isn't a secular humanist circuit like that. Or if there is, it hasn't found me yet. Um, but I get to go talk to people from time to time, and that's really fun, and to visit communities that are growing up. But, you know, increasingly, I think one of the ways that I have the most impact is I get, to, I get interviewed a lot. People will hear about what we're doing at USC, and they'll want to talk about it. So documentary filmmakers come to talk to me sometimes or magazine writers or the most exciting thing that's happened recently is, and, and it's just coming up, is that the New York Times Magazine sent a journalist named Mark Oppenheimer out. And he, from what I understand, on January 1st, they're going to publish a real profile of me and my work. I mean, it's been kind of an amazing process. Photographers, fact checkers, the whole thing. And I don't know what he's going to say. I hope he doesn't make me look like a crazy idiot. But my hope is that on the one hand, obviously, I hope lots of people read it and decide they want to support this work because the truth is we need, we need to be supported. I mean, in, in, not just the podcast. I mean, because it does cost money to put on a podcast. And, and if I had more resources, I could get better interviews and we could do more production values and, and do it more often. But it's not just the podcast. It's, it's the chaplaincy work at USC, running those events and dinners. And, and, and it's the counseling even because, you know, I counsel a lot of people uh, at Full Fair. But, you know, we also have a lot of people that can't afford it but that need it. And so... It's through the donations that people send that we're able to offer people sliding scale and pro bono stuff so that we can give people the kind of support that they need whether or not they can afford it. I mean, the truth is, is that to be a full-time community builder and counselor and conveyor of hope, uh, yeah, we're going to need some support. So, I mean, I'm hoping that some of you will support this work in the, in the coming year. I'm hoping that some of the people that read the New York Times piece will go like, that's amazing. I want to get behind it. But you know what's funny is like, I hope that happens. But even more so, I hope that people look at it and go like, hey, that's great what, what he's doing. I could do that. Hey, there's a college just up the street. Like, I'm going to go and see if there are any students there that I can help get a little campus fellowship going. I mean, we can, you know, we can make dinner. We can put questions out on the table. I, like, I, I, I'll give them a little inspirational talk. We'll, we, we'll sing that song or some song. You know, you, you, it's not rocket science, you know. Or so, somebody will be in a neighborhood and they'll say, like, you know, I wish there was some kind of fellowship like that for me and my friends. And you go, like, well, we, 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 we could throw a dinner party. We could do that. When I was talking with Mark Yakinelli the other week, it's not that complicated to get people together in a way that builds them up and that helps them to find more meaning and to create more, more sense of belonging for each other. And so I'm hoping that people, even, even if nobody supports what I'm doing 
and Marty and I run out of money and we got to go back to Cincinnati or go back somewhere where we can afford to live and the whole thing, you know, falls into pieces. I, I hope that even still I'll say, well, it was worth it because we, we put an idea out there and some of my students are going to go do that other places and some of the people that hear about it are going to go do it other places because I think we're heading into a tough time. I mean, I think, you know, Trump taking office as president, the world is in a very difficult place already, and I think it's about to get harder. And whether you voted for him or not, whatever you think, I got to tell you, I hate to break it to you, but no guy single-handedly is going to overcome the forces of globalization, technological innovation, and the decline of labor unions, and all of a sudden magically bring back tons of great jobs for middle-class Americans. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that we live in kind of the last days of a free market economy where a few people are going to be very, very, very rich and everybody else is going to be in some real serious trouble. There's going to be a lot of people out of work. There's going to be a lot of people struggling to make it on less. And in that kind of a situation, we're going to need people who know how to band together and care for each other and support each other and create hope and, and create meaning out of thin air just by caring about each other and by doing what they can to make the world a better place and, and who can teach their children a narrative that says life is worth living and life is worth making the most of, not because there's some magic person who's going to fix it for you, whether that's you know God in heaven or Donald Trump, but not because there's somebody who's going to fix everything for you, but rather because... Life is intrinsically valuable because it's precious, because it's rare, because it's brief. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I do these interviews, a lot of times people say like, you know, can you boil your message down into a few words? And I I was talking about branding expert. He's like, can you, can you give it to me straight? And I was like, man, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm a little more nuanced than that. I don't know. But I mean, I guess if you boil down, I would say like life is random. I used to think it wasn't. I used to think there was somebody in charge, but life is random. And death is terrifying. And joy is possible. I mean, in the shadow of that bad news, the good news is joy is possible and meaning is possible. Belonging is possible. Transformation is possible. Growth is possible. Wonder is possible. All those things are possible because... They aren't out there waiting for us to find them. They, and, and they're not within each one of us waiting for us to introspectively find them. Those things are possible because we make them between us. We make meaning between us. We make joy between us by loving each other, by caring for each other, by working together. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess my message is you can overcome the crazy head games that your religious upbringing put on you. And, 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 if, and, and once you do, you don't have to become some kind of angry atheist who just is trying to tell everybody else that, that what they believe is stupid. No. And you don't have to fall into despair either. You don't have to go like, wow, if there's no heaven and there's no God, then this life has no meaning. Nah, the good news is there may be no meaning to this life, but there can be a great deal of meaning in this life if you make it. And the way to make it is by loving other people and by doing work that matters, that makes things better for other people, whether you get paid for it or not. 
and by cultivating a sense of gratitude for the wonders of life, for the wonders of this universe. And let's face it, we all live under the stars, but not all of us look up. We all have senses, but we, we tend to take them for granted. So few of us fully appreciate the privilege of consciousness. Yeah, I, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe if you boil it down, that's what, that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get people to seize the day, to recognize that life is short and it's precious. And, and, there's a, there's a, and the best way to flourish, the best way to flourish is by loving and working and wondering. Yeah, to, 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 to grab it, to grab it, to seize it. Yeah, listen, I, 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 that's enough. That's enough. I, I, I hope you support what we're doing here. I mean, it would be great if you, if you went on the website and made a donation. We need that. We, we desperately need support to keep this stuff going. But like if you, if, whether you support what we're doing financially or maybe you just spread the word. Maybe you just tell people about it. You tell people about the podcast. Maybe, maybe you point people towards what we're doing and maybe that'll inspire them to do something good too. Or maybe just drop a note. Let me know if any of the stuff is, is landing with you, if any of the stuff's making a difference in your life. Because, you know, it's hard. It's hard to do this work. You deal with a lot, of, a lot of trouble in people's lives. You deal with a lot of pain. You struggle through hard things with people. And, and sometimes it's really wonderful when you hear from somebody and you realize that it, 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 it's not for naught. I'm going to end this thing by reading you an email I got a few weeks ago. Um, from a guy who listens to the podcast on a fairly re- in a fairly religious fashion. And he writes this, Dear Bart, For most of my life, I felt I had all of eternity to work with, which made me lazy at best and apathetic at worst in regards to personal relationships. For example, when I was eight years old, my older sister moved across the country. And over the years, we really grew apart. We still loved each other, but I never took the initiative to reach out to her. Four or five years at a time would pass with little to no contact between us. This completely changed some months ago when I finally let go of Christianity. Because I now know that this life is the only one we have, for the first time in my life I began to feel life's urgency. In particular, I began making a point to call and talk to my sister. In fact, over the last few months, we had more conversation than in the last decade combined. And in one of our most recent conversations, I explained to her the changes in my life, why I had taken our relationship more seriously, and how much I enjoyed talking with her. This past Sunday, my sister died unexpectedly at just 45 years of age for a reason we still don't know. I'm obviously still going through the grieving process, but mixed with the pain is a sense of peace I would have never had under my prior philosophy. I really made the most of my relationship with my sister just before her death. While I will forever forget, regret the lost years in between and the years I will never have with her now, I can't say how thankful I am for the way this podcast helped me realize the urgency of life and what a gift every day is. That realization gave me a part of my sister to carry forward 
that I never would have had otherwise. Thank you. Your friend, Charlie. No, thank you, Charlie, for really taking this stuff seriously and for taking the time to let me know that what we're doing made a difference in your life. Um, thanks to all of you, you know, who, who, who have supported me over the years to bring me to this place, um, who are supporting this work now, that who, who are out there doing this kind of good stuff in your own communities. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I will see you on the other side of New Year's with lots more good stuff, good conversations, good encouragement, good stuff. Yeah. All right. That's it. I'll see you in 2017. Have a great New Year's. Bye. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org.